products bubble life and here in the studio today with Kenny. We're broadcasting from the Arkansas Hub, of course, and we're here every Wednesday from 7.45 to 8.15. So, tune in for your weekly content and entertainment. As a reminder that if any teachers are listening at this point, we know you are in a meeting right now, so feel free to switch off in your room. You do that using the neat little volume lock right next to one of the doors. But before we continue, I would like to formally acknowledge the people who have made this live session in the studio possible. Firstly, we would like to thank Ms. Kidia, Mr. Rudsak, Mr. Simon, Dr. Steve, and many other people for making this broadcast a reality. Additionally, we would also like to thank Ms. Sandy and Mr. Gar for checking our script today. Last but not least, of course, I would also like to thank everyone in the studio here with me today, including Mint and Noble, who's running the tech side of the show today, along with M and Yumin, who have helped us write the script. By the way, if anyone's interested in joining, feel free to contact one of us via the Google form in the Lang group or via Instagram. Alternatively, you're looking out for the line poster that we're going to be posting on the Homeroom Hub as well. Moving on, we have a new segment this week where we bring you a brief update on the world with numbers and names. First, we would like to point out some business figures for those who are interested. These figures are up to date as of Tuesday, the 5th of this month at 2 p.m. and according to Google Finance. To start off, the Zed index has increased by 2.3 full pots over the past five days to 980.5 full pots, and the Nasdaq is at 14,031.80 pots. It's a 336 points increase from our past five days. Well, other than that, the Jones Industrial Index. Sorry, Dow Jones Industrial Average has increased by 397 points to 34,837.1 points. And the S&P 500 is now at 4,515.77 points, which is an 89.74 point increase in the past five days. As of Tuesday at Casicorn Bank, the buying price for the U.S. dollar is at 34.259 baht, and the selling price is at 35.6945 baht. Other than that, the price of gold in Bangkok is currently at 33,631 baht as of Tuesday. Anyway, to follow up on these numbers, let's go over a news article I've chosen for today from Reuters on the G20 and the 2023 Dali Summit. Firstly, you may ask what the G20 is, and I just got chucked by my microphone, so sorry about that. Well, according to Reuters, it is defined as a group of the world's 20 major ruling powers, which formed an economic grouping after the Asian financial crisis in 1999. Wow, that's interesting indeed. The G20 was formed because of the understanding that economic crisis could no longer be contained within a nation's border and required better international collaboration to minimize damage. And the group is made of Argentina, Australia, Brazil, 
Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Indonesia, Italy, Japan, South Korea, Mexico, Russia, Saudi Arabia, South Africa, Turkey, the United Kingdom, the United States, and the European Union. Okay, wow, you have to admit, that was quite a mouthful, making for a total of 20 separate entities that are now part of the G20. Let's move on to the content of what we're going to be doing this week. So, from September 9th this year, the leaders of these countries will meet in New Delhi under the theme of The World is One Family. Actually, this is the first time that India has hosted the G20 summit, but it has come prepared. The capital has been adorned with ornamental flowers and fountains and traffic roundabouts, while public buildings and sidewalks have been given a fresh coat of paint. It's truly a sight to behold, and I would recommend that you visit if you have the time. And this year, under India's presidency, so far, the group has continued discussions on various economic issues, such as debt, cryptocurrency, and food and energy security. However, as of the time of writing, the group has not yet issued any joint statements, as it is divided over the language on the war in Ukraine. So according to Reuters, while Russia and China are against blaming Moscow for the war in Ukraine, Western countries, including the United States, France, and Canada, have sought a strong condemnation as a necessary condition for a joint statement. Isn't that amazing, Ty? Uh, maybe it is, and I don't know, because I don't want to give a political opinion over the radio because of reasons. Anyway, sounds like a big event in the world politics stage. But we also need to move on to what we're happening in Thailand today and this week so far. Uh, if you haven't learned already, a pipeline has ruptured while oil was being pumped from a tanker at a jetty off Siri, Russia, in Shanburi province on Saturday night. Sorry, correction, Sunday night. But the spill has been confined. The slick mapped and the cleanup started already. The spill occurred at sea on a jetty run by Thai Oil Public Co. Limited on Monday morning, and a drone was flown over the scene and detected an oil slick about 5 kilometers long. On Monday morning, a drone was also flown over again, and I think this is a problem with the script, which we're going to fix in future episodes. And next to agenda, did you know that next week we are going to be going through our white crew ceremony? meaning that there is now Late Start Wednesday, and we're not going to the broadcasting. How tragic. Yeah, in case that wasn't clear because I made multiple mistakes. Anyway, we have no Late Start Wednesday, meaning that we're not here. How sad. I agree with Pammy. Very sad. Very. Anyway, let's go over the schedule for next week's ceremony. On the 13th, we will be hosting the tray making ceremony. while. Uh, means a shortened schedule as we start making the trays at 13.20. Other than that, on the 14th, we will be having the two Y crew ceremonies, one for grade 10 between 8.30 and 9.20, and another between 8.30 and 9.20 for grade 10 and 11. Of course, class starts at 9.30 on that day. And unfortunately, we can't talk about this forever because we have our and content to go after, after all. And anyway, 
let's recall what we did over the past few weeks. Well, what we did is we talked about the color wheel theory of love and the triangular theory of love. But in summary, the triangular theory was Sternberg's idea that there were three main parts to a relationship that determined the type of relationship. These three elements were passion, intimacy, and commitment. On the other hand, the color wheel theory of love was where we compared romantic preference to color theory and used primary and secondary colors in attempts to classify unique romances. I am sad to say that this is the last episode that we are going to talk about love. At least for now, so let's conclude with our final choices. And first, today we are going to talk about Elaine Hatfield's theory of love, which states that there are two main types of love, passionate and compassionate love. Passionate love, at least according to Hatfield, is a state of intense belonging and union for one another. This is very common at the beginning of relationships, where people usually have very strong feelings of affection for each other. The first type of passionate love is requited love. Requited love is when two individuals share mutual affections, meaning that they love each other back. Typically, this results in two people forming a relationship and being together. The second type is unrequited love. This is when one individual is passionate toward the other, but there is no commitment or response from that person, or in other words, one-sided love. Have you ever been in a one-sided love, Chai? Oh, Pam was bad enough, but now Pam is doing it as well. Why, why is my life like this? Someone, please help. Oh my god. Yeah, I understand your pain, bro. The key characteristics behavior of passionate love are constantly thinking about their partner, idealizing their partner or relationship, having a strong desire to know and be known, having strong emotions towards that person, and feeling a need to maintain physical closeness. Well, that's nice and all, apart from you asking me that question. As for compassionate love, it can be defined mainly as being represented by intimacy as shown by a combination of kindness, thoughtfulness, empathy, care, commitment, and admiration. Essentially, compassionate love is when one person understands and is ready to help and commit to another person, no matter what the conditions may be. This type of love plays an important role in long-term relationships, since it helps the relationship continue strongly, even if passion is faded. Other than that, Romantic relationships, companion, sorry, compassion can also be seen in platonic relationships and familial love, meaning about family, of course. People with this type of love remain connected and dedicated to each other despite the conflicts that may occur. And some key behaviors of companion love are long-term commitment, deep intimacy, and trust. Now I'm going to return the favor. Tammy, have you ever been in this type of love before? Um, that's a very difficult question. Um, so let's move on. From what have I read, I, passionate love can be briefer, while compassionate love may be more likely to stand the test of time. Passionate love is intense, but it is generally very fleeting. However, it may be formulated in a strong foundation for many things to come. 
Researchers have looked at how relationships progress among new couples, newlyweds, and those married for a longer time, and found that while passionate love is more intense at the beginning of relationships, it tends to give a way more way to compassionate love that is focused on intimacy and commitment later on. Yeah, and while it is one thing to understand these two types of love are conceptually, have you ever wondered how these concepts could potentially play a role in real-world relationships? Well, in theory, specifically according to Hatfield's theory, you could first start by experiencing passionate love in the early stages of a new relationship. But while infatuation grows, your passion for the other person may build and eventually peak. As your relationship continues, this passion may grow more into a compassionate or passionate companionate, sorry, form of love. Generally, companion love usually does not have wild passion, excitement, or obsessive thoughts like the ones that are seen in passionate love. And however, this compassionate form of love does not, sorry, does include feelings of tenderness, strong bond, friendship, and enjoyment of the other's company. By the way, once you have established a more compassionate form of love, this does not mean that you will not experience great passion from time to time as well. And also, did you know that some research suggests that romantic love, which involves intensity, engagement, and physical intimacy, but without obsession, is associated with high, higher self-esteem and increased well-being? To add on to that, research by Hadfield and her colleagues in 2008 suggests that the strongest and longest lasting relationships may be those in which people are able to find a balance between companionate and passionate love. So what you can do to redinkle feelings of romantic love, even if you are in a long-term relationship where it feels like the flames of passion have faded? Well, some people have found the spending time together doing new things or seeking new adventures, such as taking a dance or cooking class together, going on a trip to a new location, or even adventuring outdoors are always to foster trust, intimacy, and romantic passion. Personally, I prefer cooking most, but hey, your needs and your wants may vary a lot. And I would like to say that it's the same research because even though the research on love has become popular over the past 20 or something years, Hatfield's early research on this topic was not without criticism, meaning there was some people, hold on, make that a lot of people who disagreed. During the 1970s, U.S. Senator William Proxmire rallied against researchers who were studying love and indicated that the work was a waste of government money. But others defended Hatfield's and other researchers' important work, noting that if psychologists could understand the pattern of these human loves, then perhaps they could also understand divorce and how failed relationships would work. Despite the debate anyway, the work created by Hatfield and her colleagues contributed a large amount to an understanding of love as a whole. And it also inspired further research on attraction, attachment, and interpersonal relationships, which is still ongoing today. Wow. And 
First of all, Hatfield's theory is a great theory. However, it is not complete, as it does not encompass the concept of relationships as a whole, only small part. So let's explore another aspect of relationships, attachment. We are now going to move on to attachment theories, which were created by various scientists. The first is John Bowlby's theory on the characteristics of attachments, published in 1969. Well, Bowlby believed that there are four main indicators of attachment. Proximity, maintenance, which is the desire to be near the people we are attached to. After this, is the desire to be near people we are attached to, to the attachment figure for comfort and safety in the face of a fear or threat. Next is a secure base, which refers to the fact that the attachment figure acts as a base of security from which the child can explore the surrounding environments. Finally is separation distress, which is anxiety that occurs when an attachment figure is gone. And other than that, Bobby also made three key points about attachment theory. Firstly, he suggested that when children are raised with confidence that their primary caregiver will be available to them, they're less likely to fear those who are raised. They're less likely to experience fear than those who are raised without such conviction. Secondly, he believed that this confidence is forged during a critical period of development. During the years of infancy, infancy, sorry, childhood and adolescence, he also observed the expectations that are formed during the pe those periods tended to not change much. Finally, he suggested that these expectations that are formed are directly tied to experiences. In other words, children develop expectations that their caregiver will be responsive to their needs because in their experience, their caregivers have been responsive in the past. Yes, and Mary Ellsworth theory developed on this further in 1970 by focusing on long-term commitments, interactions, and relationships between individuals such as those between parents and children or romantic partners. I believe that some of you, hold on, many of you, yeah, many of you, will have heard of this theory at least briefly already if you've studied psychology with Mrs. Sandy. Wow, <laughs> Miss Sandy, yeah. Yeah, Miss Sandy. Okay, according to this theory, humans are born with a need to form ties with caregivers from a young age. These early relationships may have an impact on attachments later throughout life. Well, generally, they say that there are four different stages of attachment. Pre-attachment, which is up to six weeks. Indiscriminate attachment lasting up to seven months. Discriminate attachment lasting to 10 months. And multiple attachment, which lasts more than 10 months and onto the child's usual lifespan. There are also three different types of attachment styles, starting with anxious or ambivalent this type of attachment is when a person worries about rejection or being abandoned. Thus, they depend on a partner and can sometimes be seen as clingy. The second type is avoidance. People with this style usually are uncomfortable with getting close to others and experience difficulties with developing trust as they are used to being independent. 
The last type is the kiln. That's its name. People with this type do not worry about getting abandoned or fear others getting too close, so they are comfortable in their relationships. However, this was not all. Afterwards, researchers Wayne and Solomon discovered a fourth attachment style in 1986, known as disorganized insecure attachment, which is characterized by a mixture of avoidance and anxious behavior which means that they have difficulty trusting others and can sometimes show contradictory behaviors about themselves. Well, I would like to say that actually many studies so far have studied Ainsworth's conclusions, and additional research even today has revealed that those early attachment styles can help predict behaviors in later life. Although they're not directly linked, they're strongly correlated, so your experience on this may vary though. Anyway, you might wonder, what exactly are the factors that determine such an influence, the outcome of your relationships? Firstly, it's the timing or readiness of an individual or multiple individuals to commit to a relationship. Then, how do the relationship forms also matters. For example, if it grows with a weak base or insecurity, it may crumble. On the other hand, if the relationship builds on trust and has a strong base, which everyone can do, I believe it that way anyway, both the partners are more likely to remain committed, even if passion fades away. So, guys, don't strict, stick to the exits, stick to the base. Finally, compatibility is also another crucial aspect in transforming passionate love into compassionate love. As Hatfield and Repson observed that we are drawn to people who are sometimes similar to ourselves. While opposites might attract, people are more likely to stay in love if they have things in common. In conclusion, there may not be a definitive step-by-step -step guide for a perfect relationship, but as long as both partners understand each other and determined to make it work and accept each other's flaws, there is always a possibility. Well, that's it for today, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on who you are. Anyway, we hope that, again, the content that we gave out will be useful as a tool to help understand emotions such as love from a more academic perspective, meaning that it's a perspective that we would use in science. Even if it may not apply to what you feel personally, uh, thank you for listening and see you next Wednesday. Actually, no, since we have Waiku and there's no late start, see you next, next Wednesday, uh, where we're going to talk about Pepsi's Soviet Navy. So stay tuned, have a wonderful day, and goodbye. Goodbye.